We're very thankful today to be joined by Peter Breen. He is the executive vice president of the uh, Thomas More Society, also the head of litigation for that group. Uh, Mr. Breen, thank you for your time once again. Hey, great to be with you. So tell us, what is the Thomas More Society? Well, we are a national public interest law firm that was headquartered that is headquartered in Chicago, founded a little, a little over 25 years ago to defend life, family, and religious liberty. And so we we do that to, you know, pro bono, so we're, we're no cost to our clients across the country. And so with that, that ministry and that work, uh, we see things like in Carbondale, Illinois, where the city council has taken a very anti-life stance, uh, very much uh, promoting the new abortion facilities that are coming into town. And, uh, you know, they, they put in place a 100-foot anti-speech zones around the abortion facilities. And so our job is to come in and try to, you know, take them to court, see if we can get those things overturned as violations of the First Amendment. And from your perspective, why would that ordinance uh, specifically violate the First Amendment? Well, and so a couple areas here. Uh, one is, and very we think very clearly, is the viewpoint based, and it's a it's a core principle that the government can't act against you and regulate your speech based on your viewpoint. We know with these laws, you know, they're not, they're not trying to restrict abortion pro abortion speech; they are trying to pre- restrict pro life speech. And there was a, a seminal case back in two thousand called Hill v. Colorado. Where you had a Supreme, where the U.S. Supreme Court upheld a law like this in Colorado, but in the years since, it, it, it was an it was an outlier under the First Amendment. And uh, in the recent Dobbs decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, the the majority that was writing the opinion, uh, they said that case where where this you know these no speech zones were upheld was an example of the abortion distortion on our First Amendment jurisprudence, uh, because everybody knows if if folks had been talking about anything else, the Supreme Court would have struck down those no speech zones. But because it was this, you know, the sacred right of abortion, they allowed it. And so we're hoping now, based on direct statement from the Supreme Court saying, hey, you know, that was a that was not a good use of our First Amendment jurisprudence. It wasn't a good a good decision, that we will be able to get some relief to be able to strike down this bubble zone in Carbondale and and hopefully to stop any other uh, abortion uh, you know, supporting municipality, county, or state from enacting one of these bubble zone, uh, we call them bubble zone ordinances. One of my listeners wanted me to ask you about standing, and I don't know exactly how to answer or to ask the question rather, but is there any uh, standing issue for the Thomas More Society to bring this um, lawsuit uh, against the Carbondale bubble zone ordinance? Sure, sure. And standing is something, what what it means, and the federal courts have tougher standing requirements than our state courts do, as, as a general matter. But the issue is, you've got to be suffering some actual injury. In this case, in Carbondale, so our, our client is a group called Coalition Life, and they are a, a very professionally run, it's a nonprofit charity, a ministry, but they help to coordinate and train sidewalk counselors. So those who are there to reach out with offers of assistance to those who are at risk for abortion. And they do it out on the sidewalk, out on the public rights of way, outside of the abortion facilities. So their ministry and their work is being hampered right now uh, and limited uh, because they are, you know, they have to act in accord with this bubble zone, which it's, it's a very, um, it's a horrible thing. If you're within 100 feet of the door, you can't 
move towards a person, but you can extend your arm. It, it, it's really, it, it's, it turns you into something of a robot. You know, and, and of course, then once they engage with you, then you can engage with them. It, it's a, the, the, the requirements under these bubble zones are just horrible. They're, they're, there's no other area uh, of our free speech law and jurisprudence in the history of the country where folks have been allowed to do something like this uh, to, to, to people like our clients and, and folks who are pro-life. And so, you know, the, the work of Coalition Life is being directly impacted. The work of our sidewalk counselors in all of our sidewalk counselors in Carbondale are being directly impacted. So they have what we would call an actual injury. So standing's not an issue uh, for them in this particular case. And I just to play devil's advocate here, I know that there are situations, say, around a courthouse on Election Day. We see these signs come up that say this is a campaign-free zone or or whatever, um, I presume those sorts of arguments are the arguments that will be made by the other side of the issue. Well, sure, and, and they would call that, you know, something of a time, place, and manner restriction. And, and we do, so, you know, the thing about the First Amendment is it, is it is a very strong right. We know that the right to free speech is fundamental for a self-governing people. You really can't have uh, proper self-governance if you don't have the freedom of speech, you know, a, a broad uh, a broad right to that. In this particular case, the problem you've got is, you know, say, your, your 100-foot or 50 or 100-foot uh, uh, you know, buffer from the front door of the election uh, place is they want to avoid undue influence on the voters. You know, you, your, your local politician can stand right outside, you know, a foot away from, you know, they put up the cones and see you stand. I mean, I, I, I've run for office many, many times and, and was, you know, served in the state house uh, in Illinois two terms. So I've stood right next to the cone, you know, with my opponent right next to me and you're shaking hands and talking to folks. But, you know, you stay away from the door to try to avoid that undue influence and that sort of thing. So that's legal. But here's the other thing. It doesn't just apply to the, you know, the pro-life folks. You know, it applies to both sides. And, and so that, there's that aspect of a, you know, a neutral buffer in front of a, an election place. Whereas in this case, the reason we know full well, you know, the, the abortion side is not trying to stand outside of the abortion clinics and, and reach out to women and talk to them because they just want people to get into the abortion clinic. You know, that's, that's their aim. We're the ones actually trying to engage, offer alternatives, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So when you enact an, a bubble zone ordinance like this one, you're very directly targeting the pro-life advocates who are trying to give an alternative to the abortion businesses in town. In terms of timelines, uh, when uh, do you think that this lawsuit will get an initial hearing? Well, and so the the next step is uh, the city gets 21 days to respond, and uh, we would expect they'd file a motion to dismiss uh, based on the Supreme Court, the prior Supreme Court case from 2000. And so we would, you know, hopefully that would be heard pretty quickly. In this case, it looks like we are going to have to get up on appeal in order to get some relief uh, because of the various cases that have already, you know, come down previously. But we don't anticipate that would take very long because the issues are uh, have pretty been pretty well briefed in other cases and, and of course, you know, in the Supreme Court itself. So we are we're hopeful for a relatively quick resolution at the district court level and get us up on appeal and, and deal with things there. Um, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I am I am very hopeful that we'll get some sort of an answer that, that could be definitive within within a few months um, and just. You know, that we've, I will say we've got another case that is similar to this one out of Westchester, New York. Uh, that uh, 
that particular unit of government had not just enacted a bubble zone, but they had all sorts of other uh, unconstitutional restrictions on uh, sidewalk counselors' activities outside of abortion facilities. And so we're challenging that bubble zone right now in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York. Uh, so we're hoping to get this one up to the Seventh Circuit, which sits in Chicago. And, uh, you know, if with any luck, get it up to the Supreme Court as well uh, and, and get this thing overturned. Peter Breen is with us today. Another piece of legislation that I've watched closely has been this piece of legislation that's going to put crisis pregnancy centers uh, under additional scrutiny from potentially the attorney general's office. I have said many times on my program, I always expect that uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion legislators are going to pass legislation that will uh, advocate for that. I never actually thought that there would be legislation brought forward to hamper the existence of places that are just trying to hand out diapers and wipes and car seats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Did this surprise you at all? Well, I mean, nothing surprises me, as you kind of alluded to. But, but at the same time, this is—I uh, mean, this is really beyond the pale. They are—they're taking a concept that is a perfectly fine concept, deceptive business practices. And so, you know, if, if somebody's selling me a 16-ounce Coca-Cola and it actually only has 14 ounces, well, that's a deceptive practice. Uh, here, they have targeted only, only pro-life uh, pregnancy help ministries. Uh, for for this particular new new law, and they've given zero guidance as to what the attorney general is going to consider a quote deceptive business practice. So they've said in the bill, they said, "Well, you're you on the pro life side are overstating the risks of abortion." Well, uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I've looked at the literature uh, that, that is being handed out by our sidewalk counselors. It's being handed out and used by our pregnancy centers. It's all well researched. It's well documented. There's footnotes everywhere. So they you know, tell you what medical studies they're looking at. And really, uh, when you, this is another instance where they're targeting only the pro-life centers. They've actually specifically exempted any of the abortion facilities. So, you know, what's good for, you know, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Uh, if Planned Parenthood lies to you about the abortion procedure, no worries. Attorney General isn't going to come after them. It's only the pro-life pregnancy health ministries that are subject to this, uh, would be subject to this new law. Uh, that's the, you know, the governor has said he's going to sign. Uh, it hasn't been sent to him yet, but we expect him to sign it pretty quickly. And we are preparing legal action right now on behalf of the state's pregnancy health ministries to be able to get that law enjoined and hopefully just struck down permanently. I mean, I will give the devil his due. It's creative to grab deceptive practices because, because that is one of the few areas where the government can regulate you know, your free speech. But in this particular instance, it's a it's a horrible misuse and abuse of that right and privilege of the government to to address real deceptive practices uh, that are happening in trade and commerce. What is the fundamental philosophy that underpins your energy for this specific issue of abortion? Well, I'll I'll tell you something. I was. when I first was dating my wife, uh, she was the she was working the pro life office for the Archdiocese of Chicago, and so she really got me into the pro life movement more deeply and showed me uh, what was going on. I was always pro life; that was never an issue. I'd, I'd actually been a seminarian and, and all that, but never particularly interested in you know in 
being actively part of this uh, this particular social movement. But she showed me all that, and I, I got to meet everybody and, and met women who had had abortions and, and had terrible uh, terrible side effects and, and uh, you know complications down to that day. And uh, it just it really touched my heart. And it was one of those things where uh, we we together uh, then became very, very active in the pro-life movement. I, I started two pregnancy centers in the western suburbs of Chicago uh, and then got recruited to come join Thomas More Society and return to active legal practice. And so I, I was a patent attorney by training and uh, you know turned into a constitutional litigator. So we've it's been a long, long, wonderful trip. And my wife eventually became the director of the pro-life office uh, under uh, Francis uh, Cardinal George, uh, who was, you know, of, of fond memory, who's, who's passed on and uh, so we we really pro-life was uh, to some extent the family business uh, and uh, so we we just uh, continued and she you know she's still active and I'm, I'm obviously very active today peter breen has been our guest today from the thomas more society he is the executive vice president of that group and head of litigation mr breen thank you so much for your time hey great to be with you thanks thanks again